0: 19, yes! Maybe. big three-pointer for the rookie from Arizona. Big Country Reeves needs to rebound from what was a terrible season. Does everyone like basketball? With the second pick in the 1999 NBA draft, the Vancouver Grizzlies
1: select Steve Francis from the University of Maryland. This is, with the second pick, Steve Francis, the highly niche Vancouver Grizzlies basketball podcast where we watch old, mostly forgotten games from one of the worst franchises in NBA history and no random guy on Twitter. It isn't sad. Well, maybe just a little, but we like it, damn it. I'm here with the dandiest fellow this side of the Fraser River, Justin McElroy. How you doing, Justin?
2: I mean, dandy. We've got a lot of adjectives to describe me, but that's the first there. So how are you doing, Jeremy?
1: (laughs) I'm I'm doing pretty well. Um, I, I hate to poison the well right off the top, but I wouldn't mind if you shared with the good people what I texted you uh, late last night.
2: Oh, uh, are we talking about Anthony Avent here?
1: <laughs> no, I think it was something along the lines of, I can't believe you're making me watch this game.
2: Oh yeah, no, that was... (laughs) I had watched this game about a week before you, so I had gotten it out of the system, I had seen it, and I had purged all the mediocre 90s bit of this game from my memory hole. But I honestly, if we were not doing this, I would have pulled out so much earlier because this. there are duds of Vancouver Grizzlies games, hundreds and hundreds of them, this was a dud, but we are doing this for the benefit of the 40 or so other weirdos out there who truly love and remember this first season of the Grizzlies, and this one, as unsatisfying as it was to watch most of the time, it had one of the all-time Grizzlies highlights, if you can call it that at the end, and that's why we're going to talk about it.
1: Yeah, January 5th, 1996, the Vancouver Grizzlies play host to the Philadelphia 76ers, who in my basketball fandom, you go like, oh, the Sixers, they've they've been good, you know, most of the time throughout uh, their franchise history, their storied franchise history, you know, Dr. J, Charles Barkley, Allen Iverson through the years. Let's just say 95 96 was not a hallowed year in Philadelphia 76ers history. <laughs> they at this point in the season, I believe, were 6 and 23. So neck and neck with our Grizzlies, they do end up with a slightly better record this season by three games than the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies finished 15 and 67. The 76ers 18 and 64. And the weird thing with this game is the The Sixers are playing their sixth game in nine days, which is just like brutal scheduling. And the Grizzlies have had five days off.
2: It's a weird one. You you know, when you were a kid and you would go through the schedule and see who the Grizzlies were playing and you basically looked at all the crummy teams that were up there as a possibility that maybe they could win. This one was up there. The 76ers drafted third in the 1995 draft where the Grizzlies got country the 76ers got Jerry Stackhouse we talked a little bit about this on our draft podcast but this was a fide player they just traded for Derek Coleman who at the time he was on the decline a little bit but was still thought of as a power big man this was a t- team that you thought maybe could have been good But it didn't come together for them that entire season, and it especially did not come for them together on this day.
1: Oh my God, no. And so let's whip through the starting lineups, and I do want to touch on Derek Coleman there in just a second. But for Vancouver starting, standard except for one uh, omission, and there's a reason that we'll figure that out a little bit later. But we got Greg Anthony, Blue Edwards, Chris King, Anthony Avent, not Antonio Harvey as we've grown accustomed to in these games and of course the one the only big country and for Philadelphia Trevor Ruffin at point Jerry Stackhouse Vernon Maxwell Clarence Weatherspoon and Derek Coleman so for me I'm going well I'm really interested to see Derek Coleman here I want to see what he looks like in this game and oh my god he looked absolutely brutal he was the worst player on the floor The ball go into him in the post, and it was just off a knee, off a foot, turnover time. And I just was going, wait a minute, did I misremember Derek Coleman as a solid like 18 and 10, 20 and 10 type guy? And so I look it up, and it turns out he's actually only been back from injury for two games. In this game, Hurts' his ankle is out for more than a month, plays only five games back when he comes back, and then he's out for the rest of the season. So this was like... Derek Coleman's worst season on record, and it really showed in that first quarter. And the Sixers, I just can't even put into words how little they cared about protecting the basketball. The turnovers are just appalling to a comic level.
2: 30. 30 turnovers in the game. And if that sounds high to you, it's because you can count... On, like, a couple hands, the number of times since 1990 where a team has had more than 30 turnovers in a game. In the history of the Vancouver Grizzlies and Memphis Grizzlies, they've never ha- faced another opponent who has given up more turnovers in a game. I checked the Memphis Grizzlies tied with 30 one time in like 2004. So this game was handed on the Grizzlies on a silver platter. And in the first quarter, they pretty much take it to the 76ers. Blue Edwards gets a couple nice shots early on. Anthony Avent even gets a nice turnaround. Greg Anthony gets a three at one point. Chris King gets a turnaround. The Grizzlies are up 21 to nine before you can blink.
1: I think that was one of the small pleasures of watching this game was (laughs) to see the Vancouver Grizzlies as the vastly superior team, taking it to the Sixers, crisp passing, good cuts, good finishing, some pure shooting out there. And it was just like, oh my God, they're so much better than the Philadelphia 76ers. And the Sixers, they must have been exhausted because the number of traveling calls and then just like some real pathetic turnovers, like just a bounce pass that just goes to nowhere. Like you're just going... Like I would have been benched in grade 10 on my junior team for treating the ball that way. <laughs> like it was absolutely brutal. And it's so funny when you talk about taking care of the ball, just a small aside, kind of an NBA history here. Early on in the game, they go to a shot of Scott Skiles in yep. his suit on the sideline. And they say, Scott
0: Skiles looking very much like the person he will become. A coach at some level, either college or a professional. A guy who really knows the game. And he knew all too well he could not play the game anymore. And he said to himself during his NBA career, if it ever got to the point where he felt like he was just collecting a check, he was going to hang him up right then and there. And he wouldn't even play the final game of this, the six-game road trip. He merely kept his suit on and took a seat on the bench.
1: And I'm like, (laughs) whoa, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Let, let's turn it back here. First of all, Scott Skiles was like a wicked three-point shooter when he played NBA Jam for the Orlando Magic.
2: Legit player.
1: Was a legit player. Got six hundred uh six hundred games in his career, known as a three-point sharp shooter, averaged 17 and 8, 17 points, 8 assists for the Magic one year. Like he was a he was a baller, man. And so he actually got picked up by the Sixers early in December. He played 10 games. He even scored 22 points for them in I think his first or second game with the Sixers that year. And then out of nowhere, just retires in Vancouver that night. And he's in a suit on the sideline. And I looked it up and there's an article in the Orlando Sentinel. And it's just his his quote. And it's one of these absolute amazing, like, macho jock guy quotes. I always said I wouldn't play for the money, says Scott Skiles 31. And it's like, yeah, man, but like... I don't know, why don't you just run out the stretch and collect whatever it is, you know, 500 grand or six or 700 grand and roll with it. But nope, he's steadfast. He's out. Scott Skiles retires in Vancouver before the game, which I thought was pretty funny.
2: Why wouldn't you just draw it out? Because you're playing for the 76ers who are 6-23 and 23 and your body is breaking down. First quarter to, continues. Greg Anthony gets a nice three. It is sloppy play. The 76ers, nine turnovers of the first 12 minutes. It is hard to do well there. The first quarter ends. The Grizzlies are up 28-17. to 17. That brings us to our first quarter segment called
1: Watching Big Country.
2: Big Country, you know, I feel, Jeremy, we have had sort of a poor and unfortunate sample size of Big Country games because I keep waiting for us to pick a Big Country game where he's not sort of the stereotype of this big lug in in the first season where the announcers make fun of him and he actually shows his full potential. We haven't got there yet.
1: No, he was so bad in this game. He was clumsy he looked tired despite the five days off he had these really like indecisive half-ass post moves where he would kind of like make a decision to go up baseline but like half fade he did get fouled a couple times he was getting eaten up defensively i saw a couple times on the pick and roll just like embarrassing defense he had 10 points six boards three assists a block a steal two turnovers in 38 minutes it was interesting early in the game I started tracking how many times they entered it to him because it seemed like they were entering it to him a bit less in the post, but I stopped after a while because it really picked up steam. They still went to him 12 or 15 times in the post, but it was just, it was really bad. I'll give him a little bit of credit in that his decision-making to pass out of the post was a lot more decisive and a lot more crisp. But I mean, other than that, I can't think of too much to, uh, you know, to stroke the big guy on this one. Like, you know, I, I always try to find something positive, but (laughs) that's pretty much all I could come up with was, was better passing out of the post.
2: Yeah, anytime he became the focal point of the play, it rarely worked out well. You know, you look at the top line numbers, three for eight, not the worst, but there was just so many times where he looked lumbering and not in the right position to play well. And, you you know, I brought up uh, the announcers making wisecracks again. Seven feet, 295
0: and somewhat more than that when he first reported to the Vancouver Grizzlies. Flabby as they described him. definitely out of shape down to about 275 would probably be better off at 265 maybe
2: 260 be a little quicker be a little bit more agile than he was and it is interesting to look back at just how much in those first few months because we still are only at the beginning of january here just a couple months into the season how much that impression of country as an out of shape lummox was just enforced game after game and the announcers just honed in on that and like it became such i think a burden for big country to be known as big country and to have all this pressure of him of the grizzlies playing not sheltering him whatsoever in those first few months and just feeding him minutes and looks when he wasn't ready his body wasn't ready and it carried this stigma around him even when he became a better contributor in his second and third seasons you know
1: what i think as far as the hypotheses go i would actually really support that and i would probably think that that's true and he looks weary you know like he looks almost
2: like it's it, that big country face of oh
1: yeah just <laughs> oh man like they're going to call me fat again. Oh, I missed another one. Like, he kind of looks downtrodden, you know? And there was those first few games after Benoit Benjamin got traded where he had a little bit of swagger. There was a little bit of jump to his step. That is not the case in this game. He just looks kind of out of it. I don't know if he's homesick at this point or what. But, yeah, he's he's not there. He's not all there. And it just really shows in the, on, in the on-court uh, performance.
2: I promise we will finish season one of this podcast with at least one good big country game from the first season because there was some of them. It wasn't this one. On to the second quarter. Uh, the Grizzlies continue to, to keep the lead. It's a more middling affair this time, but we get some solid contributions from the bench. Kenny Gaddison gets a nice turnaround and a dunk early on, which is quite nice. Eric Murdoch shows that he can be a pretty good backup point guard in this league, gets a steal on a layup at one point, uh, uh, dishes the ball well i'm looking for a lot of highlights here there's not a heck of a lot we end the half with the grizzlies up 55 42 jeremy did you see anything
1: yeah so i mean I, I agree there wasn't too much going on there's still sloppy play from philly i did want to bring up because you know if we're going to do the niche thing let's do the niche thing let's own it absolutely on right for the Sixers, <laughs> he was the only guy doing anything for them. And I remember having him on my uh, ESPN VGM team when I was in high school. It was like the very early form of fantasy basketball. But uh, Shron Wright at one point had, uh, I think he had like six or seven field goals made in a row. And they're like, we're going to look up and see what the the Sixers record is for this for most field goals made in wow. a row.
0: We decided to check the record book, the 76, a record for a game. Consecutive field goals made. Wilt Chamberlain, 18. <laughs> and Sharon has a while to go for consecutive field goals over a number of games. Wilt, 35 straight over four games. <laughs> the big dipper, huh? How about like, it
1: looks like Sharon's a ways off from uh, meeting that record. I'm like, yeah, dude, he's not going to make 35 straight. Um, when it comes to Murdoch, I thought an interesting point was that he was the all-time NCAA leader in steals. They brought that up a couple times, and you know that's a skill that really shows for him. He's got those big, strong, quick hands, and he just swipes, and he grabs it and goes. And it's one of those things where you really regret that he didn't have more of a jumper and a bit more of a finesse game because he, he had a really amazing knack for taking that ball away.
2: It was, and again, we have to cap, have to have the caveat here that the 76ers are not a good team. No. But it is, like, the Grizzlies seem to be like they had a rotation going. Their players were playing the way that you would hope that they would play, if you know what I mean. Like, they were playing up to sort of basic expectations. I couldn't say that necessarily I was enjoying watching the game per se but it was actually that they were in a full groove where you could go you know what there's this is not a 17 win team this is maybe like a 25 or or something but it was pleasing to see you know a fake reality that did not actually exist for this team
1: and it was a pleasant narrative shift i must must say like mid to end second quarter being like okay the grizzlies should win this game this is their game to lose They're the better team. All they have to do is continue with the energy, continue with the execution, and this is a victory. And we see that it, you know, they almost piss it away in the end. But um, at this point in the game, it's very much like, okay, this is our game. Let's go. Let's finish it off here.
2: This is as much as a by-the-numbers win for an expansion team as it seems at the end of the first half. And at the end of the first half, we come to our next segment called... What did Stu do now? (sighs) Jeremy, what did Stu do now? Well, I'm afraid to ask. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: interesting thing for me is because I'm reliving the season through the games that we select, and I kind of see a missing piece here, and that's been a mainstay for the games that we've watched, and that's our sweet, sweet Antonio Harvey. Where did where did Antonio Harvey go, Justin?
2: Where did his one good thunder dunk, bringing the crowd to life go? And the answer is very anticlimactic. He was released. They said after picking him fourth overall in the expansion draft, when you have all these options of people to choose, after but 25 or so games for the team, said, Yeah, we don't need him anymore. Because basically what happened was Kenny Gaddison got healthy again. Gerald Wilkins was on his way back. For whatever reason, Brian Winters enjoyed Anthony Avent and Ashraf Amaya. And they traded for Eric Mobley as well. And there just wasn't enough space up front for his combination of, I would say combination of athleticism and something else. He really only had athleticism, which is why he didn't stick around in the league. But yeah, this is another example of the Grizzlies putting assets into a player and then just getting nothing for them in the end.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, look, I I am going to miss his 97 second explosion of block, dunk, block, Scream into the air, get the crowd pumped. But I do admit that there were long stretches of watching games with Anto- Antonio Harvey in the game where I would kind of go, I'm not quite sure what this guy is really contributing. He's a big body, he's athletic, but he, you know, there were long stretches where he'd kind of disappear. That being said, there's no continuity to the decision making, right? It's like, all right, we like this guy, pick him in uh, the expansion draft. Oh, we're you know, less than 30 games into the season. Let's cut him. Like, it's just, it's almost like Stu Jackson was bored and he had, wanted something to do. Like, obviously we don't know if, you know, this guy was a problem behind the scenes. It doesn't seem like it. He seemed like he was actually quite a positive influence on the court as far as energy and like kind of pumping the crowd and the team up. So I definitely have questions about why you're picking a guy in expansion draft and then just hacking him 30 games later. And then who did they end up with instead of Antonio Harvey? Did they sign someone instead of him?
2: Well, this is it. They said that there's not enough room for Antonio Harvey. We'd have too many big men when they released him on uh, uh, December the 28th. On January 12th, just a few days after this they signed rich manning to a contract and rich manning is also a 7 foot guy is basically the same as antonio harvey and at the end of the day they barely played manning either although i have to give the fun footnote here manning after retiring from the nba decided to become a loan officer he brands himself online as and this is true you're seven foot loan officer, and there's a photo of him, not in a Grizzlies jersey, but in an LA Clippers jersey.
1: Oh, come on, dude. You play he played <laughs> he played forty-five of his fifty-five games in Vancouver. And as I see here, shot thirty-six percent one year from the field. Oh Lord. So I mean, come on, man. Antonio Harvey's better than Rich Manning. Like there's no these are nonsense moves. And then I had a, just a small one, which is more of a situational what did Stu do now? because the Grizzlies picked Trevor Ruffin who's playing point guard for the Sixers in this game. And weirdly Trevor Ruffin is actually after Sharon Wright cools off. Trevor Ruffin's the best player on the Sixers. So the Grizzlies didn't sign him after they drafted him the expansion draft. He goes to play in Greece. Apparently, according to the announcers gets homesick, doesn't like Greece comes home after six weeks, the Sixers sign him and he's actually not great. Uh, For his career, he actually gets cut later that year by the Sixers, but he's 13 points, four assists in 61 games. And in this game, 27 and nine on eight of 16 shooting. And it was one of those games where I'm going like Trevor Ruffin, like he must've had a bit of a career. Look at how good he looks again, forgetting we're talking about literally the two worst teams in the NBA this year. And I actually thought he looked like a super poor man's Colin Sexton. What do you think of that?
2: <laughs> Ooh, that's, I mean, with the sample size of one, if in his best game ever, this is the funny thing, right? It's its the one and only time Trevor Ruffin goes to to shine. And he starts to shine more in the third quarter. First bit of it, actually, Big Country has his only really good sort of string of the game. He finally gets on the board. Then he gets another bucket a quick bit after that. He gets a nice turnaround about halfway through the quarter as well. But the 76ers stay in it. They're not exactly playing well, but they're starting to come back. And a lot of this is because of Trevor Ruffin. He gets a three at one point. Then he gets a longer three right near the end of the third. We end with the Grizzlies at 78, the 76ers at 65. But the Grizzlies have let the 76ers, those pesky 76ers, still in the game at this point. So anything still can happen. But first, before we get to the fourth, we've got to talk about Better Know a Grizzly. And today's Better Know a Grizzly is perhaps the best, probably from the first season of the Grizzlies, the best known Grizzly, at least when it came to pure talent that was playing for them. That would be number two, G-Money Greg Anthony.
1: G-Money. Oh, man, I love that nickname when I used to watch him growing up. And he has a game. He's balling out tonight. 32 points, 7 assists, 3 steals, only 1 turnover on 8 of 19 shooting. And get this, 14 of 16 from the line. So he's just taking hacks and getting to the line. And it's interesting because... Of his NBA career, a nice career, 757 games, this year with the Grizzlies is by far his best season. 14 points, 7 assists, and he's playing over 30 minutes a game. He'll never, again in his career after this year, average above 30 minutes or above 10 points. So he's playing at his highest level. Of course, most people would argue good stats, bad team, and that's for sure the case. Um, I was looking for some tidbits on Greg Anthony, and one thing, that definitely made me love him even more. I'm a convert here, mm-hmm. uh, you, yep. you know, I did trash him earlier in, in the in the series. So I knew that he had won the NCAA championship with the UNLV running Rebels in 1990 with, on that team with uh, Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, and Anderson Hunt. What I did not know is who they beat and how they beat them in okay. the final game that season. So they beat Duke, and I mean like, who doesn't hate Duke like Duke's like one of the most hated sports teams across all sports like screw Duke. No arguments there and it's 1990 so it's Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley so one of the most hateable Duke teams of all time they beat them by 30 in the final game I didn't know that and that just brought a smile a smile to my face thinking of how you know, angry and frustrated, Mike Shashevsky would have been to have been just dominated <laughs> like that by Greg Anthony. So that's my tidbit on uh, on G Money
2: and Greg Anthony. G Money could dominate you if you weren't uh, feeling good that day. He could hit it from three. He was great at penetrating. He was surprisingly pesky on defense as well. Yeah, he had to do too much with this team, and he had to do too much uh, in the second season with the Grizzlies uh, as well. But you know. What I remember about Anthony, obviously those seasons with the Grizzlies where some nights he was really the only thing worth watching on that team Mm -hmm. from an entertainment standpoint. With all due respect to country being around like a lummox and uh, blue edwards chucking another 18 footer most of the time anthony was the only real consistent excitement and talent on the floor but it was when he was le- left the Grizzlies, and specifically when he had those three seasons with the portland trailblazers when they were a beast in the west and of course one of those seasons came within one game of getting to the nba finals before the lakers went on that insane fourth quarter comeback and anthony was a great just seventh eighth man Guy on defense having a chance to play for a solid championship contender and really giving it his all in the latter half of his career. And for me, you put two seasons in with an expansion team like he did, gave it his all. That was nice to see it is the beginning of the fourth quarter and the 76ers finally come to life and it is vernon maxwell back from the dead bringing them in and he's bringing them in with threes he gets one he gets two it is now just a five point grizzly lead the, the grizzlies then come back and it's because eric murdoch again whether eric murdoch is frisky Or the 76ers are just giving up the basket every two minutes. I'm not sure. But he does a great job uh, at the middle of the fourth quarter of helping to bring the game back into the Grizzlies' comfort zone. Gets one steal, then another. They're up 86-77 with six minutes left. It's looking pretty good for them.
1: Yeah, but the Grizzlies are kind of like, they're kind of wasting all the work they did in the first three quarters. They're shooting, or they do shoot, 28% in the fourth quarter. And, and, you know, obviously the Sixers turning it around a little bit is what leads to this as well. But it's that combination of just a stinker of a fourth quarter, as far as shooting the ball for the Grizzlies. And finally the Sixers, you know, Clarence Weatherspoon gets the mid-range game going. Maxwell, as you say, stroking it. Ruffin kind of like barreling into the lane and finishing, stroking it from three as well. You know, we didn't see too much of Stackhouse because I think he injured his hip. The Phillies got a little bit of gas in them, even though they're six, six game in, uh, in nine nights. So all of a sudden it's a game. And I got to say, late in the fourth quarter, Justin, on the video I'm watching, I'm going... Because I, I make a habit of not checking the the box scores before i watch the game Mm -hmm. because that brings some element of surprise to it and i'm looking at the the kind of like the cursor for the video and going why is there so much time left in this video like why this game should be (laughs) ending in like 10 or 12 minutes and in that moment it dawns on me we could be headed to overtime
2: (laughs) And uh, we could because the Grizzlies keep up making it closer and closer. They let Philly get into the game. Ruffin gets a nice pro drop at one point to, to cut it to three. Then there's a pretty sad play where Country just falls down badly in the post. Richard Dumas gets a long two to cut it to one. Then Anthony is fouled. He only makes one of two free throws. Then the Grizzlies have a terrible defensive breakdown. I'm remaining in the fourth. Dumas, right helps, Ruffin,
0: path to the basket, we are tied! Trevor Ruffin, the clear path to the basket, ties it at 91, 12.9 to
2: go! It's the last possession of the fourth, Grizzlies have a chance to win the game. It is Anthony,
0: Weatherspoon and Dumas double him, Anthony way out on the perimeter, time remaining here in the fourth, Edwards, the runner for the lead! No! Weatherspoon the rebound, and that will do it.
2: Edwards misses runner at the buzzer, and we are tied at 91, and we are going to overtime. And as
1: much as I did give love to Greg Anthony for his game, because he did have a good game, it was quite clear from my reading of that final play with 12.9 left on the clock in the fourth quarter was that it was drawn up for an ISO play for Greg Anthony, and he didn't recognize that the Sixers were going to throw a double at him. And he waited and waited. And I, for some reason, I think he thought that double was going to go away, but yeah. it wasn't. They're like, we're going to let anybody else beat us. Cause Anthony's the only guy beating us today. So smart coaching from John Lucas there. But I was kind of disappointed that he didn't recognize that earlier and look for an open man who could then drive because by the time blue, well, interestingly, by the time blue got, got the ball, he actually still had four and a half seconds left and he shot that runner with,
2: Immediately. Like, with like three and a <laughs> half
1: seconds left. It was like a leaner, one-footed runner from 17 feet with three and a half seconds left. And it's like, Blue, like, I know you love to chuck, but why don't you take one more dribble? Why don't you penetrate and dish? But nope, to no avail, 91-91, head him to overtime.
2: Overtime goes, the 76ers are, are up for most of it. Then Anthony gets an and one layup to tie it at 98 with 133 left. Sixer lead is three. Anthony probing to the hook. Yes, getting
0: fouled by Wright. Then
2: Anthony gets another and one layup. Pretty much the exact same play on p- penetration. There's a big celebration. Grizzlies are now up 101 to 98 with 47 seconds left. But then Edwards gets a goaltending call. Anthony try nothing really happens on another penetration, gets blocked. Weatherspoon is wide open for a short two. He makes it. Now the 76ers are up 102 to 101. And frankly, I am ready for another Grizzlies loss.
1: Yeah, and something interesting happens as well when um, when the Sixers take the lead early in overtime. It's their first lead since the score was 3-1. So, I mean, that's one of those really, I mean, that's a telltale stat, right? Like if you were dominated and, and you didn't have the lead, there was no back and forth the entire game and then somehow tie it up and take the lead back in overtime. And we end up, yes, it's actually kind of the Clarence Weatherspoon show in overtime. He's just, he's hitting mid-rangers. He's playing D. I believe he was the one who blocked Greg Anthony kind of near the end there. Um, He also was the one who was goaltended. So he goes on to to a 20 points, 20 rebound game. So his stat line actually looks amazing, though I wouldn't say I was impressed with them kind of until the very end. And, yeah, it comes down to the final the final play for the Grizzlies.
2: And it's funny. The announcers are shitting on country the entire game, oh really. God. And the, the, the analyst says right before, I take big country out of there. They keep him in the game, though. Scott for Murdoch. Leaves for Reeves. Loose.
0: Edwards for the win. Oh, my goodness.
2: They put it to him in the post. Country botches it. It, like, goes off his knee. Somehow he recovers it as he's falling out of bounds. He throws it on a prayer to Edwards. Edwards does a circus shot and it goes in at the buzzer. He runs out the Grizzlies win, and this is one of the most hilarious and ridiculous and great Grizzlies moments because it just was such a bad play that somehow turned out for them, and that never happened It was so, the Grizzlies. It was
1: so stupid. Um, it was actually weirdly somewhat similar to the Byron Scott play with the Chris King tip-in in the Timberwolves' first home win game because they have Murdoch curl off some screens And But this time it's an inbounds play. So he catches the ball of the inbound and he's curling toward the lane and he makes the right play. And he makes a decent pass to country who just, as you say, kicks it, like just brutally fumbles (laughs) it. And he kind of walks the tightrope on the baseline. And I actually stopped because I actually thought he stepped out like immediately i'm Mm. like oh he didn't save that at all he's not he doesn't have the coordination to make that play and i slowed it down i stopped it nope there was floor between his foot and the baseline he saved it he somehow has the presence of mind to turn that big old body and to flip it to blue and blue is well covered and he launches just the stupidest clutch i don't mean clutch i mean it was clutch to make it but he clutches the ball down yes
2: and he's there's no artistry
1: oh god this was like the broken wing stork game winner like he just like i'm surprised he didn't fall to the ground and the look on country's face when the ball goes in like i think he thinks he's in a different dimension like it's just like no this didn't happen like he's he's in shock they show john lucas on the bench the head coach of the sixers and he's going like Seriously, that's the play that just beat me again. <laughs> like it was, it was just ridiculous. The play was so silly, but it worked out, thankfully, for the Grizzlies on this one.
2: It was the perfect end to a game between two very bad teams. And,. It was enjoyable to see the Grizzlies win. And then I looked back at where they were in this season. This was right in the middle of an 8-12 and run. And for most teams, an 8-12 and run is actually bad. You don't make the playoffs, and it's extremely mediocre. For Vancouver, that was their best 20-game stretch of the season. They were relatively healthy. Anthony and Edwards driving things seemed to be working. They were getting contributions from Scott and Gaddison. Reeves, most nights, was not embarrassing them. I'm not saying this was a good Vancouver Grizzlies basketball team, but there was the foundations here. If they could keep it up of a not embarrassing first season, then they won like one of their final 30 games and it all went down the tubes. But right here, this was pretty nice.
1: Soak it in, baby. Soak in the rays of the Grizzlies <laughs> just playing eight out of 20 basketball. Oh, feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> and with that... This has been, with the second pick, Steve Francis, the ultra-niche Vancouver Grizzlies basketball podcast. For Justin McElroy, I'm Jeremy Allingham. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for Episode 6.